One of the great and perennial questions on all paths is how do we relate wisely to the enormous life energies, the creative ones, the destructive ones, the confusing ones? How do we find some balance in the midst of it? And how, in the midst of all of it, do we stay true to what we most value? Rather than getting yanked around, do we have that quality of remembering? So we really live what our hearts most genuinely cherish. Now, the word bodhisattva, as many of you know, means awakened being. And we are all bodhisattvas. We're all awakening. It's, it's our nature to awaken. And the bodhisattva embodies a balance of qualities. And in the classic spiritual texts, they're called spiritual faculties. There's a number of them. And these qualities allow that expression of freedom, which is our nature. Last week, the talk was on the power of wakeful relaxation, which really is one of these faculties, the capacity to find tranquility, to relax into experience, so that rather than fighting what arises naturally in our awareness, there's a willingness to be with. There's a willingness to experience fully what's happening. So there's a real transformative power to that. There's also a potential shadow side that sometimes in service of relaxation or we think we're relaxing and what else is happening? Kind of like dulling out, trancing out, turning off the switch. We're not there experiencing in an alert way. So one of the balancing qualities that the Buddha talked about that is part of our development as awakening beings has been described archetypally as the spiritual warrior. So that's what I'd like to talk about tonight, is the the grouping of qualities that are embodied by the spiritual warrior. You can hear better now all of a sudden? I think something got turned on up there. This archetype is in many spiritual traditions, and it describes that capacity to courageously face our lives and to be wholeheartedly committed to living our path, however we describe our path. It's that wholeheartedness of resolve and commitment that really lets us go for it, in a sense. This is the energy of the bodhisattva. This is that energy that really allows for fully living. The description that I can best put on this energy is that it's our life force. It's that basic will to live, that will to thrive or to be fully. And it can be used to create and destroy civilizations. It can be used to heal, to repress, to work hard with to strive, to awaken, to liberate. It can go in many different directions. It's the energy behind the flower that's blooming or the dog that's barking. It's basic life energy. Now what determines which way this energy goes, what happens out of it, really is our intention. It's our aspiration. As you know, we have many layers to our intentionality. 
Some of them are that we want to be safe, so we have the intention towards safety, to defend ourselves, to have more pleasure in our lives, to be respected, to be recognized. So we can put our energy behind any of those uh, areas of motivation. It's said that when the spiritual warrior is mature, their aspiration is that of the bodhisattva, that all circumstances may serve to awaken. That that's the aspiration. The aspiration is for freedom of the heart and mind. And what that means is that the entire energy of awakening is towards that. When the warrior is instead in the grip of greed or hatred or delusion, energy is quite destructive, as you know. So I'd like to read you a little story. Once upon a time, that's the only part I memorized, (laughs) there was an elderly king, a kind and generous ruler of a peaceful and prosperous land. He was greatly loved by his people for his kindness and his wisdom. Now he was approaching his 80th year, and his wife had long since died, and his only son had been killed in a recent accident. He had no heir, so he had to decide to whom to leave his kingdom. Who would he pass on the wisdom of his long life and all his worldly wealth? He decided to look for a suitable heir among his people. And although it was against all precedent, he was a very good-willed king. And he decided he'd invite all interested people from the lands to his castle to see who was to be the next heir. So he looked forward to the day with happy anticipation. And in the early morning hours of New Year's Day, which was the day he chose, people started flooding in. They arrived from near and far. There were women, men, rich, poor, young, old, learned, illiterate, and all were warmly welcomed by the palace staff and invited to the royal bathhouse to rest, relax, and clean up in preparation for meeting the king. They were invited to soak in perfume baths and offered fragrant lotions and oils to smooth their skin. Masseurs came to ease stress and tension, hairdressers to provide new hairstyles and to trim beards. Now groomed and washed, they went into a huge wardrobe room where each selected a new outfit in which to meet the king. In his great kindness, he wanted everyone to have an equal chance in terms of how they appeared. So relaxed and happy, after the luxuriant baths, the applicants were beside themselves with excitement when they saw the dazzling array of fashionable clothing offered to them. Each tried on many different outfits, like children trying on make-believe costumes, preening before mirrors in each other, asking and giving advice, especially with accessories and shoes. When each finally settled on the outfit of their choice, they were taken into the palace banquet room where a lavish feast awaited them, a smorgasbord with every food and delicacy imaginable. Everyone wanted to taste every dish, so there was much bustling back and forth. No one wanted to miss out on anything. While feasting with gusto, they were serenaded by musicians. During dessert, there were games of chance and a tantalizing arrays of prizes. This was followed by a mesmerizing magic show featuring the king's finest wizards. It was at this point, after bathing, dressing, feasting, and being entertained, that the applicants were to begin going upstairs, one by one, to the king's chambers for their interview with his majesty. But the magic show was so spellbinding that not one of them could pull themselves away. They remained glued to their seats, completely entranced. 
Meanwhile, the king was upstairs happily anticipating the appearance of the applicants. The appointed time came and he heard no footsteps on the stairs. Still, he waited patiently. No one appeared. Finally, as the sun moved close to the horizon, the king summoned his chief minister. Where are the applicants? I'm eager to find my heir. The minister looked sheepishly down at his shoes, visibly distressed. Clearing his throat, he spoke haltingly. I, I, I am sorry to have to tell you this, Your Majesty, but they've all gone home. They've taken their new clothes, they've stuffed their pockets with leftovers from the feast, they've taken the prizes, they even took the soaps and lotions from the bathhouse. They've all gone home. The king's hopes were dashed. He had no air. Turning, he gazed silently out the window at the rolling hills and valleys of his beloved kingdom. His eyes filled with tears. Satiated with food and drink, excited by new clothes and amusing prizes, mesmerized by music and magic, the people had completely forgotten why they came to the king's palace in the first place. So this is really the story of us all. There's not one of us that does not get waylaid. We know that. Sometimes we stay on track, but so often we get carried off into the preoccupations that really hold sway over us. We all get carried off. We get involved with planning and controlling and defending and trying to get through the day and make this happen and that happen. And we do disconnect from what most matters to us. And then we remember with a bit of, of sadness or angst that we missed many moments. Now, as we mature and wake up more and more, as we practice remembering on the path, what we're remembering really is what matters. We're remembering how much preciousness there is to a moment of real presence, to connecting in a heartfelt way with someone else to really being here to live this life. We remember more. And this is the main attribute of the spiritual warrior. It's this quality of remembering what matters, coming back home again, again and again, remembering more and more moments. Now, in Jungian archetypes, the king-queen represents the awareness of it all, the mindfulness, the holding the realm, containing and holding the realm in heart and mind, and in awareness. And I love this description. Uh, this is written by Jack Cornfield. To take the one seat, to become the king or queen, to reclaim our Buddha nature, is to sit in the midst of experience just as it is, and to have our eyes open and our heart open. In any moment we do this, it opens a whole new possibility, the possibility that we bear witness to, that we experience the unspeakable sorrow and beauty that makes up life. Now this is a description of our awakened awareness, the king-queen quality. The spiritual warrior is in service of this. This is who and what the allegiance is towards of our basic energy. Now, there's several qualities of awareness that are cultivated to allow 
the spiritual warrior, this part of our being to really align ourselves, to remember, to be here for our lives. And they're described really beautifully by Herman Hesse in the book Siddhartha. So just many of you probably read it to remind you that at one point he writes, Siddhartha had three powers. He could think, he could wait, and he could fast. Now these three qualities are really the grounds of a meditative mind. So let's look at them one by one. He says he could think. He could see clearly. See clearly, be here for what is to live with a totality of attention. So there's an awareness of posture. There's an awareness of sound. There's an awareness of mood. There's an awareness of what is going on in this world. To see clearly means we're aware of our habits, of where we get stuck. To see clearly means we're aware of our potential, our capacity to really live in an open-hearted way to be wise. So this is one of the qualities of a meditative mind and of the spiritual warriors, this clarity of seeing, this awareness, this attention that's right here and now, awake and alert. The second quality, Siddhartha could wait. Now waiting, what does that mean? To be able to pause, the power of not doing that takes a quality of wakefulness where we're not carried off in our reflex and reactivity but rather letting go of, of that and just being patient silent, non-reactive discovering in that place in that space of silence and quietness the wisdom and compassion that can really guide us that's where it comes from learning to pause. It's a real power and it's one that that takes training. As you know, we tend to kind of lean forward into our life and just roll along to stop, to pause, to wait. So Siddhartha could think. Siddhartha could wait. The third, he could fast. Now this is the one that gets most misunderstood, so I'll take a little bit of time with it. Fasting, and it's also described in the classical texts as renunciation, means letting go of what binds us, renouncing or letting go of what keeps us small. Letting go of our habits of overwork, our habits of passivity, of overeating, of exploiting others, of controlling, of judging, whatever it is that we're doing that gets in the way of full open presence, we gradually, as we can, let go of. When we begin to realize our capacity for full presence, it becomes clearer and clearer how our habits of holding on or resisting keep us distant from ourselves, from each other. We start seeing the limiting beliefs we have about ourselves. I can't do this, I'm not good enough this deep self-doubts, that's part of renunciation is to not be so invested in, to let go of these ideas we have that keep us small. Chogyam Trungpa writes, 
What the warrior renounces is anything in her experience that is a barrier between herself and others. What do we do to push off others, to keep others out of our heart? What we're letting go of is contraction, is the small identities that stop us from realizing our Buddha nature. And in the letting go, we're freed up to live in the creative current of life. So it's actually renunciation is the pathway to a real creative, active participation. Because we have let go of all the constraints. Fasting is a way of saying, giving up all that takes us away from life, non-clinging. The attitude, it's the willingness to be here. This is the attitude of the spiritual warrior, this real willingness to say yes, yes to this life, to become part of the stream of life. Now, meditation practice is really training in these three qualities, in seeing clearly, in pausing, in this kind of letting go into the flow. As an example, the one we're most familiar with here in our practice is frequently that thoughts come up and what happens. The first part, to begin to see clearly that it's happening, just to recognize, okay, thinking. In the moment of seeing clearly, we're not so identified. And then what? We pause. We just rest in that space of awareness. Just let be. Get quiet for a moment. See what's there. There's then the third, this this letting go back into the flow, letting go of the grip of the thought, back into the flow of the breath, our sounds that come and go, or if there's a strong mood that wants our attention, we come back to what is. By letting go of this identification with the waves of thought over and over again, we begin to see that we've been living in wave ideas, and we haven't been connected to this ocean, this boundlessness of being, which is our nature. So we really are practicing letting go into the totality. As we practice this letting go, we have available the full expression of life energy. It's access to a real boundless kind of creativity and loving. So that's the resolve of the warrior, to keep seeing what's happening and loosening the grip and opening back into the flow. Now what stops us from doing that? What stops us from this letting go into it all? What most people find when they begin to investigate, when they look closely, is that our tendency to keep holding tight, to keep leaving, to getting lost in the past and the future, is very driven by fear. There's a real fear of opening to the mysterious and enormous energies of life just as they are. We want to, in some way, control it, hold it at bay. There's a fear to let go into life, to really just sit down in our bodies. I mean, just try it. Just really letting go and sit down in it all. And we begin to, but then we recontract very quickly. Unconsciously, there's a continuous effort to to kind of keep our fingers on the knob and the dial to control pain and pleasure. 
fears what stops and freezes this energy towards awakening. It's said that in order to be with life, we have to be willing to face this fear, that the source of courage of the spiritual warrior is this willingness to open to fear. Are we willing? So our practice starts with seeing where we are meeting our edge. And we each have those places in our life where we've gotten very habitual to avoid something. Places where we don't let ourselves really get close to other people. Where we get very defended or armored. Or places where we are not willing to take a risk creatively or in work. We're not willing to show vulnerability. We're not able to really face the parts of ourselves or other people that frighten us. We all have those edges, every one of us. And this willingness to face fear is really a willingness to stay there and to see what happens. Again, Chogyam Trungpa, who writes a lot about the spiritual warrior archetype, acknowledging fear is not a cause for depression or discouragement. Because we possess such fear, we also are potentially entitled to experience fearlessness. True fearlessness is not the reduction of fear, but facing, going through, and beyond. Now, going beyond fear, again, does not mean that the sensations of fear just disappear. Rather, going beyond fear means that we have shifted from feeling the victim of, the one who is afraid, the one who's a small, endangered self, we've shifted from that into the awareness that recognizes fear with compassion, with presence. Do you understand that shift? The fear can still be there, but our sense of who we are has expanded. There's room. This happens more and more as we are willing to be what with with what we've habitually avoided, resisted. Gradually we soften, we open, we shift in our sense of who we are. But it takes a willingness. So the question is, what makes us willing to face what's difficult? What makes us willing to be with pain, to open to shame, to touch into the ocean of grief? to be with other people's grief. What makes us willing? Any ideas? What do you think? Yeah. Our desire to awaken. I'm sorry? Our desire to awaken. Our desire to awaken. Beautiful. Any other ways of putting it? There's many ways to put this. Yeah. wanting a higher and better quality of life. What makes us willing? Might have a different... Compassion. Compassion. Having compassion. Anyone else? It isn't working another way. I'm sorry? It doesn't work. It doesn't work another way. By fighting it, it doesn't work. Thank you. Peggy? What's that? The desire for freedom. This is all truths. They're just different ways, and we all have our own flavor for what makes us willing. 
Anyone else noted, notice for you what makes you willing? A crisis, yeah, and I'm going to talk more about that. So true. Yeah. Curiosity. Curiosity. Very powerful force. Yeah. So it's something just to explore in your own life because each of us is on the path in our own way and something's making us willing to face what habitually our conditioning would be to not look at or be with or feel or open to. Do you know what I mean? We're all doing it. To be willing to practice mindfulness is to be willing to face life in a more unconditional way. And there's enormous power to it. So what makes us willing? I find it falls into kind of two main forms of expression. And one is that we care, that we care about life. We care about waking up. We care about being real. We care about honestly being with it as it is. We love life, so we want to experience it, even in its painfulness. And the other, which Stig alluded to, is the quality of interest. Part of our love for life is our love for truth. We want to know. There's no way to really understand, to really know what this is all about, this mysterious existence. There's no way to know. There's no way to live it fully. There's no way to open our hearts fully other than moment by moment facing what is. So gradually we put down our armor. And it's ironic that the term spiritual warrior really refers to one who has the courage to put down armor. You can see it in all the great stories of heroes and heroic acts through history. This willingness that comes out of this deep caring, out of love for something, someone. You know, the myth of Camelot. Those knights would not have gone off on these awesome missions were it not for the love of the lovely lady, you know. And the mothers that do these extraordinary superhuman acts physically for their children and the beings through history that have fought for freedom in one way or other. We transcend our concerns for personal pain and pleasure out of this great love for life, for truth. So just to take a moment and reflect, if you will, where this is true in your life. Where in your life, in other words, what the people are, or the activities, or what it is that you feel dedicated to. Where have you felt that sense of the spiritual warrior's resolve or dedication? For some, it's to a sense of the path of awakening the Dharma. To others, it's to a relationship, to parenting, to creative expression. Where have you felt this dedication? How has this kind of quality of resolve energized you, allowed you to let go, to open? To help recognize and affirm this part of ourselves, it's very beautiful and valuable to sense again and again, what is it I care about? And sense how that care really does activate and energize us on the path. 
Now sometimes, as one person mentioned, it's really the, the great life events, the traumas and the dramas, the um, births and the deaths that awaken our heart, that deepen resolve. For one, it might be learning that uh, a person has cancer. For another, losing a job. For another, the birth of, of a child could do it. Um, spiritual breakthroughs or insights all of a sudden. It awakens this caring that's already in us. It kind of takes away the veil. We get shocked into being more here. I'd like to share a personal experience of the last few days that um, was so much on this vein. About three days ago, a friend of mine committed suicide. And um, very good friends with his wife and his family. His son's my son's best friend, or one of them. So this has been having these this ripple of of touching and um, feel a lot of suffering for a lot of people. And to bear witness to how people have come through, and those probably everyone here has lost somebody or somebody in your close circle, to see how people rise to the occasion with such a depth of compassion. It's kind of like when people are finally forced to feel grief, the, so much falls away and there's so much potential to really be real, to really be willing to give, to sacrifice. Um, and it really arouses resolve. I know for me, it's inevitable that seeing a precious life go, facing death, makes me more resolved to love well and to live my moments. And this is something, is, is one of the universals, that it's one of the great teachings in almost every tradition, that death, impermanence, can be our teacher moment by moment, because it's all going, it's all dying. I mean, today's almost gone, and our, our bodies are aging, and for many of us, our children are growing up, and the seasons are changing, and it's just going very, very fast. And our response can either be to put a blinder on or to look in the face of that impermanence, this, this dying that's happening all around us, and really cherish our moments, really value this one and this one. The shaman Don Juan writes, without the awareness of death, he would be an ordinary man involved in ordinary acts. He would lack the necessary potency, the necessary concentration that transforms one's ordinary time on earth into magical power. So this is the heart of the spiritual warrior, this cherishing of life and having the courage and the resolve to really show up for it, to be here for it. Now, in the most mature, awakened bodhisattva, spiritual warrior, this loving is unconditional. This resolve is comprehensive. It's that all situations, all circumstances serve to awaken. It's the driving back and forth to places. 
It's the petty tasks, it's the big obstacles, it's the people that are nuisances, that everything serves to awaken, that every being be included in our hearts. I mentioned earlier that this will to live, this quality of intentionality, often gets wrapped around our fears and our wanting, which is quite natural. It's been called the shadow warrior. And it's really the same energy of the mature spiritual warrior. It's still that will to live, to thrive, but it gets kind of contracted around wanting and fearing. So what do we do? This shadow warrior has actually been the cause of wars through history, of violence. It's the cause of the destruction and sickness and disease of the earth and the earth's environment. So how to be with that energy in a way that can transform it so that we can be manifesting the mature warrior. To awaken and to heal, we start right where we are. So if we find that we're in the grip of the shadow warrior, of anger, of wanting to hurt, of wanting to destroy, of wanting to accumulate, if if our energy, our intentionality is, is locked in, we start with that. And our practice, as always, is to bring the same clear seeing to what is arising. Okay, anger. To see it clearly. To pause. To have the commitment enough to just pause and let it be. And let go. Letting go of anger does not mean that we push away anger. It means that we see the stories we've wrapped around it and let the energy be there but not sense that our identity is the angry person. We're the awareness that includes it. The more moments that we bring these qualities of seeing clearly, of pausing, of opening, are the more moments that we have that we touch our true nature, our free nature. The shadow warrior is transformed into the mature warrior through kind attention, through opening to the vulnerability that's driving him or her, to the soft spot, to being tender with the soft spot, the fear, the wanting. So as I described earlier, this is the training we're in. We train in concentration, we train in mindfulness, so we have that muscle, that capacity, that strength, so that when we get caught, we can notice it. There's no shame, there's no judgment, just okay, caught, caught in this energy, to see it clearly. I started tonight with that story about these folks that went to the castle and forgot why they were there. It is our nature to forget. Each one of us, every day, gets pulled off track. It always happens. We forget. It's also a natural part of waking up as we practice mindfulness, that we remember more and more that this basic quality of the spiritual warrior begin to flower so that we're there knowing what we love, living what we love, living our moments fully. The Buddha, towards the end of his life, said that fear and insecurity are great the energies that drive the shadow warrior. This fear and insecurity are great, but greater yet is the truth of our connection. 
Greater yet is the power of love. This is our Buddha nature, that each of us has this power of awareness and love that can transform and awaken our hearts. When we get little glimmers, you know, through sitting, we get glimmers in nature with loved ones, we get glimmers through our losses. When we get those glimmers, they can serve to deepen our commitment, our resolve, because we realize how much we cherish this life. Like the bodhisattvas of the ages, we remember that we're really here for only the purpose to wake up, to live it fully, and to really love fully. I'd like to close with a short poem. To be of the earth is to know the restlessness of being a seed, the darkness of being planted, the struggle toward the light, the pain of growth into the light, the joy of bursting and bearing fruit, the love of being food for someone, the scattering of your seeds, the decay of the seasons, the mystery of death, and the miracle of birth. So let's just take a few moments to sit, do a little guided meditation. And as a way of establishing presence to connect with the aspiration of your heart, what brings you here, what you most wish to guide your life. And let that be your prayer for yourself for this moment. May I awaken. May these moments be wakeful. In whatever words, whatever flavor matches for you. taking a few moments to relax your body, your heart, your mind. Making room for whatever arises in awareness. And meeting whatever arises with interest, with care. Seeing clearly what's true. Pausing letting go into the stream of experience again and again. As a way of anchoring, if your mind is busy, just to steady with the breath, with sounds. And then to open to whatever calls your attention with this clear scene.
And to close with the loving-kindness meditation, sitting comfortably, taking a few moments to feel your heart, feel the breath at your heart. I'd like to ask um, that we bring our prayer and care to this family I described. The holding in your hearts and the space of heart, the sense of these beings that are going through so much loss and pain. Alden, Hedda, Jane, Will, May these beings and all their relations be held in the great compassionate heart of wisdom. May they be soothed. May they discover some peace, some understanding, some freedom. And then just taking some moments in silence, if you will, to bring into your heart whoever in your life needs some healing, needs some kindness. Sensing their vulnerability. Sensing where they're tender, offering your care. And opening our prayer to include all beings. May all beings be held in this great space of compassion. May all beings touch peace. May all beings awaken and be free. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.